Candace Michelle, and this is Our Community. As we record this segment on New Year's Eve of 2022, we're on the cusp of a brand new year full of possibilities and promise. Last year, we took a look at some of the events that had happened during the previous year and looked ahead to some of what was yet to come. Joining me tonight is Brookings Core Response Executive Director, Diana Cooper. Welcome to the show, Diana. Hey, thank you. Good to have you. Yeah. Good to have you here. Yeah, so we did this last year. We did, we did an episode that was looking back and then one looking forward. Um, yeah, which I boy. thought was very interesting. And and when I was prepping for for tonight's show, I went and looked at the stuff that we were saying bye bye to mm-hmm. at the end of 2021, and you know, kind of looking forward to in 2022. And interestingly, one of the things that I saw that kind of jumped out at me was we thought we were done with COVID. <laughs> You know, that that vaccine came out and we're like, oh, we're gonna beat we're gonna beat this, right? We're we're and yet, you know, not exactly, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I actually got it in January of twenty twenty two and that was like the worst I mean, that was just the one of the worst times I've ever been sick. And so yeah, I at least thought like, okay, surely it's gonna get better from here. And I mean, despite all of the um, news around it and all of those things, which I don't really watch the news much. And well, I don't watch the, I don't watch the news at all. I read it, but, um, you know, I don't really know a lot of the rhetoric going on other than what I see on kind of social media and here on the radio and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I, I thought that we were going to be done and, you know, turned a corner and there it was for me. So, uh, and just as bad. So, I know, and there, and it's not like people are not getting it because yeah, some I was still at are. the yeah, I was at the Talawa ceremony. Um, it was probably a week or so ago, and their main speaker had COVID, so oh, really? they couldn't speak. Yeah, yeah, oh, and my daughter got it in July, I think, when she was yeah. in. Boise, Idaho. She came down with COVID. It's like, yeah, traveling what the is heck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That makes exactly. me nervous, and I don't really travel anyway. But certainly, makes me kind of nervous now because it seems like I everybody noticed, travels. You know, I'm still wearing a mask if I go into Freddy's most of the time. I mean, every now and again, I'll forget the mask in the car. But generally speaking, if I go into a grocery store of any kind, I'll wear a mask still because Mm -hmm. in addition to the kind of latent COVID, um, we've got that respiratory RSV thing going around. And the flu is is Mm -hmm. exceptionally bad this year, right? I mean, it's really Yeah, I got that. Yeah, I got. I just we just got Diana, over the flu. What are long. we gonna do with you? I know. I was just um <laughs> just te- I'm just testing out my lungs continuously. Uh, no, <laughs> and actually, how are they doing? <laughs> um, so we've been doing so much moving around of our office the last. I mean, definitely the last week, but the last few weeks. And I have a rescue inhaler that I. It's so for me. I'm like I don't even know where it is most of the time because that I don't need it, and. 
moving around our office, I've had to use it like three or four times. And so that to me is new because I, you know, I used to go to the gym and I used to wake up and run a few miles in the morning. And so, um, and I did take my Mm. inhaler to those things, but I didn't need them often. And just pushing some Mm -hmm. stuff down the hall for me is like, you know, I'm going to have to go grab that just to keep it on me. So, yeah, that's That's been, kind of disappointing, isn't it? I know, because your lungs are kind of important. <laughs> yeah. And I never I thought know. asthma was really a big deal. So, you know, I, I definitely, yeah. I feel for all the people who have, you know, regular asthma attacks, just in general, like even before all of this, because yep. that's yep. scary, you know, when you don't think you're going to be able to breathe. Yeah, so. when you can't get enough air. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not... It's not yeah, my happy I mean, place. panic just sets in. There's no stopping it. I know, it. right? Yeah. So um, 2022 was jam-packed full of stuff. I yeah. mean, not, not only were we doing more COVID stuff, but there was just all kinds of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. One of the most astounding for me was the arrest of the Brookings City Manager Janelle Howard for theft at Fred Meyer. And the subsequent hiring of former city manager Gary Milliman to act as city manager pro tem. And shocking for me because I don't understand something like that. You know, why why somebody <laughs> who is making, you know, with, with benefits a quarter of a million dollars a year would right. shoplift. And- my my personal feelings on this is that I'm not ever shocked when people, um, hmm, well, I guess it's not that I'm not shocked sometimes when people do something wrong. It's that I, I think less that that thing is outrageous and more that um, we need to be empathetic towards people who uh, are obviously struggling. And, you know, I, I do feel some empathy towards Janelle for the situation that's going on in the same way that I do for the people that I serve and people because, uh, I mean, for me, the parallel there is that it's so like political and although, you know, for this thing with Janelle, I'm not sure how much of the city actually knows like what's going on, but normally the issues of issues of homelessness, um, addiction, things like that are really divisive. And this situation with Janelle seems to be divisive for some, and certainly the city council, very divisive. So um, those are the parallels that I see. And so I mm-hmm. I think that I'm less shocked or, you know, outraged by what's happening with Janelle um, because the people that I work with go under the same scrutiny. Um, and so, you know, but that being said, there is a difference because the people that I'm working with are not in positions of power. And so you really do have to weigh it out. And I think what I, what I feel is that this city council and certain members, including, you know, our mayor are weighing it the wrong way, like weighing it different, you know, they're weighing it differently, but in favor of a person in a position of power. And, you know, that's where I start to, uh, that's where I start to divide my my opinion right. so right right and it, and it is kind of an example of preferential treatment you know right well privilege yeah. right because you know being trauma informed and taking into account people's circumstances is not privilege 
but overlooking circumstances is the privilege. And so it's quite the opposite. It's very interesting that, um, you know, being able to see it on both sides as kind of a service provider and a citizen of Brookings. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It is very interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's a word. Yeah. (laughs) It is. Well, you know, because because I have the empathy as well. Um, And yet at the same time, we should hold our leaders, our government officials to a higher standard than we hold and, yeah. just regular folks. I'm right? not even I mean, we should. I'm not even saying hold her to a higher standard. I'm saying hold mm-hmm. her equally, but when you're looking at someone, um I so I guess I'm saying look at it equitably. And when you're looking right. at something equitably, you weigh things appropriately. There it's actually not equal. It's um right you know, it's, it's by its weight. And so I'm saying hold everybody accountable to the same standard. And, um, you know, Janelle's just another human being like the rest of us. But what you can take into account in that power and um, control that she would have, I mean, I realize that she's at the mercy of the city council as well. But when you're city manager, and you're human um, resource manager, and you're finance officer and all that, you do have sway. So you know, I think yeah, that exactly. I'm not saying hold her to a higher standard because of that, because we're all human. I'm just saying that has weight and hold her to an equitable standpoint and right. use that weight accordingly. That's <laughs> a, a listener wrote in to us um, yesterday, I guess, to say that uh, Janelle had pleaded no contest in her court appearance on Friday. Um, and the listener wondered if Miss Howard was going to be reinstalled as a city manager. Um, mm. I guess we'll see. <laughs> I, I wouldn't I'm think not so. Holding but, my breath. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess anything's possible, but I wouldn't think so. And also, well, I'm not sure because I'm not sure what Janelle, you know, wants in this situation, but I right, would right. think that would probably not be in her best interest or the city's best interest in that. I guess that's my opinion. Yeah. Well, I, I guess we'll see what uh, the mayor does because he's the one that's been pushing uh, all this time to have her reinstalled. So I guess we'll see They're They're yeah. having a, an executive session scheduled now for Tuesday at 6 p.m., and executive sessions are closed to the public. Um, but I guess we'll see what comes out of that. Yeah. You know, they'll, they need to make some kind of a decision because all along, ever since the 4th of July weekend when this happened, the city of Brookings has been paying two city managers. Right, yeah. They've been paying Janelle her full salary, and they've been paying the city manager pro tem a salary as well. So... It's, uh, yeah. And we, and we lost Gary Milliman. You know, he, he had to step down, I guess, his, his term. He was only allowed to serve for six months because of our charter or something. So we now have, um, I believe her name is Christy Worcester in as yeah, our right. new city manager pro tem. I so. still haven't met her or our new city councilor. I haven't been to, well, there have only been a couple meetings, I think. Mm-hmm. Or maybe even one. I, I think there was only one where um, the the person yeah. who was appointed yeah. 
to Brad's seat uh, actually took the seat. And so Isaac the next meeting is uh, yeah Isaac Hodges. Hodges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's um the next meeting is second the following Monday, so it would be second like Monday in the ninth or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever that second. Okay. Monday so I guess is. we'll see what comes out of all that on the um ninth. Although I, I'm not sure why you would put somebody who was arrested for theft in charge of millions of dollars of taxpayer money. I'm just not really sure why why well, you would think that would be a good idea. I, don't, but, I, don't, I like from an HR perspective, I would think that the corrective action there would be to let that person go. Um and it's not because they did, you know, one like thing wrong. It's because of the, again, the levity that they have, the gravity of their own position, you know. Right. So it's, I guess it is a bit of a higher standard, but it's really because of the weight of that. Yeah. So still, yeah. I don't yeah. know that any position really makes a lot of sense. Definitely not financial. It'll be, yeah. It'll, it'll be interesting to see. Um, also the year 2022 included an election. Mm-hmm. And locally, you and Teresa Lawson and I all ran for city council. Mm-hmm. None of us won. <laughs> Which... we, we didn't? I thought we... Oh, no, I know, right? <laughs> did you think we did? I, oh, I no, already announced This is really it. bad news. <laughs> <laughs> so while it was disappointing, it really wasn't shocking. Uh, Beth Barger Hidalgo ran for county commissioner, and she didn't win either. Mm-hmm. Again, disappointing, but not shocking. But there have been some wins during the year. And looking back on our conversation of a year ago, there were a few possibilities that you mentioned that were on the horizon. So mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could update us on those. My first one is the APR. ARP. ARP, APR. Why? Why do I say APR? Mm. ARP funding. Yeah. Right? So, once upon a time, there were funds that yeah. we were going to get, and there might Whatever still happened. be. Um, Whatever happened yeah. to those? You ARP tell me. Funds? You probably know more than I do. No, um, I don't. Are yeah. you the vice chair? Of yeah. That so, so I am. I'm the vice chair, and um, this. So, this is the Curry County American Rescue Plan um, Committee. And we were, I want to say we were formed, it was definitely over a year ago, but I really can't remember exactly when. And the intention was for us to, um, the, the county created a public application process for businesses, individuals, nonprofits, other governments, I mean, just agencies and people uh, to be able to apply to hopefully receive some of the American Rescue Plan funding. Um, you know, to offset costs due to COVID for them. And I think we received more than 20 applications. And I, you know, I wish I had brought the numbers with me, but I think we received more than 20 applications, but we reviewed all of those over a period of months we met and narrowed down the applications. And our job wasn't to um, you know, throw out any applications or approve any. It was to say, you know, these applications fit within the guidelines. And it was a pretty thick, I mean, it was over three or 400 page document 
that we had to review for the American Rescue Plan guidelines. And so we reviewed that and we were to advise the county um, basically on which applications did fit within the guidelines, which ones didn't, or, you know, didn't seem to, and then which of the ones that did seemed to be a priority both for the county and the funding purposes. Um, so we kind of gave recommendations and scored the applications. And then the county's job was basically to um, review that and make decisions on the funding. And I, at the first meeting where we brought those back, that's when um, the county kind of changed course and said, we're not going to we're not going to look at these applications right now. Uh, we're going to, we have some other plans for some funding. I think they voted like right then and there to allocate 500,000 towards a special housing project um, that was, that Commissioner Pash was proposing. And there wasn't much information at that meeting. I, I think the last that I heard was that he was sort of handing off the information for that project to, um, our incoming commissioner, uh, Brad Alcorn, and but that that information is not public knowledge, as far as I know. I have no idea what that project mm. is. Um, wow. So that's not something that went through the ARP committee. It just sort of um, came about at that meeting, I believe, in February. Um, so wow. basically, I think what happened is they put the committee on hold with the applications and reviewed and voted for some things that they had on their agenda, which technically some of that was within um, the guidelines as well, you know, it's within what the county's allowed to do. Um, my problem obviously was that they created this process and this committee and had us go through all this um, only to reverse course. And so as of that time, we've not reviewed uh, a single application and we have not met since I think February or... Yeah, I think it's wow. been since February. So that's and if what's that were happen. you know kind of a one-off for the county, I, I wouldn't be very concerned. But they do that with just about every single committee that they form. They they form the committee and they make a big deal out of how important it is and how they want you know citizen input and all of that kind of stuff, and they don't ever listen mm. to the recommendations that are made by committees. Never, <laughs> never. Well, that's, in, in yeah. fact, it's gotten to the point where people just don't even want to be on county commissions. Because that's they exactly know. what I was going to say. You know, I, yeah. right before that, maybe months, probably, I mean, less than a year before that, I believe, was the, um, uh, application process for, to be on the housing committee. You know, they, that's when the housing committee started and formed. And I had several people ask me why I, I wasn't applying or encourage me to apply. And I did tell mm -hmm. them, um, you know, that I haven't seen a lot of, pro I haven't seen a lot of productivity come from the committees at the mm -hmm. county level. And so that was concerning to me because I don't have a lot of time to spend on a committee where we're not moving. And I know things exactly. move slow. I, I definitely um, understand that things move slow, but that's a little bit different but than what I've But it's not a question of things moving slow. Right, exactly. I don't think so. It's a question of you go through 
you know, in good faith, you go through right. meeting and deliberating and looking and all of that stuff only to have the product of your work discounted. And yeah, and not, I, it, you know, yeah. personally, um, if that was for the, the best, then I'm okay with that. But that's not what I've seen. And so I, I mm -mm. was very hesitant to even join a committee. Um, I, mm -hmm. I applied to this one at the last minute. So I was a little bit surprised that I did get selected. But, um, you know, I know they want representation from, they wanted representation from as many different er areas that they could. So, um, yeah, but that, again, that's kind of what happened. And I think, I think several of us on the committee have even reached out and said, you know, what's the next step from here? And there hasn't been anything of substance. So I suppose we'll probably reach out again because I have, I don't know what the next step is. I'm not sure the county right. knows. No, no. And it's weird. It's, it's just, you know, to, to kind of have that money sitting in limbo is. Well, odd. is it sitting in limbo? Because they can be spending it. We would have no idea. <laughs> or um, is it being spent? Yes. And I know if that it's a being lot spent, of it was what's it being spent on? I mean, right. yeah, it's, it, it's very that, interesting. While yes, that is to help the county and the governments um, offset their own costs, it also would have been a really good opportunity for the county to help um, contribute some for the community. You know, like for one, for the businesses that they do talk about um, that are suffering from COVID. That's yep. what I was excited about was that we were going to be giving businesses directly some relief. Um, and there were some really great applications in there from businesses. So, well, perhaps we'll have the answer by the time we do this again next year. <laughs> Maybe perhaps. we'll know what happened to the ARP funding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next one is the Measure 110 funding. Mm -hmm. So what happened with that? Um, well, it's in process all around the state. There's been, mm -hmm. um, I think, probably one of the most successful things that I've seen come from this is I mean, you could say like the collaboration between all the agencies, but most of us collaborate anyway, and not all of it that is forced ha is always healthy, but uh, certainly I've seen a lot of good collaboration that hasn't happened before, a lot of communication, organization of all these peer-led agencies, which is, um, you know, for a lot of people who are looking to see what's going to happen from this, this, you know, this is our really our feelings, most Oregonians feel this way, is that um, people with addiction deserve people who understand that disease and people who are able to help walk them through it and out of it. And so that's kind of been the best thing that I've seen from this is all these peer-led agencies or, you know, peer-driven work. And when I say peer, I mean um, people who have lived experience, who've who have had addiction struggles, who have had mental health diagnoses, um, people who've had to navigate services. So that's kind of a peer, you know, somebody, maybe they were homeless, mm -hmm. um, but it could have just mm -hmm. been that they, you know, they were low income and they were navigating mental health, which we all know is, you know, can be very difficult. So yep. um, a lot of peer work has come from this and there's been, it's been interesting, um, mm -hmm. you know, like all new fields, which, I think 
us putting so much strength behind peer-led work, it almost kind of makes it a new field of work. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's It comes with its challenges. One of those is sustainable funding, which this money is really meant to kind of help fill some of those gaps while we, and the state, mostly the state, figures out, all right, moving forward, how are we going to bill for this? How are agencies going to bill us mm-hmm. for this um, more qualitative work, which is quantitative. We can put this into numbers. You know, you can put Mm -hmm. mental health um, services in numbers. And so, but a lot of it is qualitative and the work that we're doing right now, I think will probably take a few years to really understand. So for us, it's been um, life-changing for our organization because, and, and a lot of small organizations, because Oregon Health Authority has basically um, contracted with all of these consultants. I mean, all of these concerns that people have that are coming up about this are valid. You know, are we giving money to agencies that are able to do the work and that are going to be in it for the long haul? And so OHA has basically said, okay, well, you know, we'll provide funding and support for agencies to be able to... um, you know, meet with consultants and make sure that their budgets look good and make sure that they um, understand what billing processes are so that when they can bill, they're able to. Um, and they're trying to do it in a way that's not taking away uh, the the basic, con- you know, concept of peer-led. So if we have to bring in these, you know, a lot of clinicians and a lot of um, higher college graduate um, administrators, then it's probably not going to be peer-led and it's probably going to have a slightly different mission and purpose. So I think that that's OHA's goal in this. Um, a lot of big fish are certainly um, getting a lot of the money, but it's mm-hmm. not going unnoticed right now for the small agencies that we're getting support. So I'm kind of yeah, excited and about I, this I think Curry County is, you know, getting a, getting a, sizable share which yeah. might be the first I mean nobody's time getting enough time. but <laughs> yeah. yeah I know <laughs> they they kind of did it um well we're, we're not really sure exactly how they broke it up whether it was by um citizen or whether it was by you know like is, is it demographics is it region mm-hmm. we're not exactly sure but I think they're kind of breaking it down by uh sort of population size is what it feels mm-hmm. like uh so Curry County you know we got a small amount but I know every county could use more money. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, we got about $1.6 not us, but the county did. And mm-hmm. and I don't mean, um, you know, obviously I don't mean Curry County itself got the money, but it came into our county. So ADAPT received the majority of that, and then we received a small portion as well. So there was a negotiation between us and ADAPT right. on, you know, who really was able to provide some of these services. So I really like the whole peer part of it, you know? Mm. Um, and I and I like it for two reasons. One, because obviously people who have lived experience um, really do know the ins and outs. They really, having lived it, they really do know what it's mm-hmm. like. They really do know what the thoughts are that go through your head. Um, and and the little voice that's in the back of your brain that's constantly making noise at you. I'm, I mean, they really yeah. do know that. 
Um, but also it gives them a chance to rise, right? Because they are, they're not only peers in that they have lived experience, but they are, they are trying to raise their lives up. And right. that gives them an opportunity to do that because they're getting paid. They're yeah. getting paid, you know, which is so nice. I mean, it's basically, you know, it's if, if you were to ask a person who just went through this long ordeal and puzzle and figured all this out to go to then show that to other people, you know, they're probably the best person equipped to do it. So, exactly. um, and, and that doesn't, you know, we have to learn how to do that because having lived experience is only half, you know, the other half of that is learning how to use that experience in a way that um, can relate to everyone and in a way mm-hmm. that lifts everyone and in a way that doesn't alienate even those who are not part of the peer group, like, um, you know, people in positions of leadership, leadership and authority and power, because we have to bring everybody into the conversation. And so it's really about learning about how to be a facilitator, as much as it is having lived experience, you have to be able to talk to people, you have to be able to um, listen. I mean, more than anything, you have to be able to listen. And so there is a side of it that is you know, we need to learn from the systems that are out there, but more, I think the systems can learn from us as well. So that's what we try to do as being a peer led organization. We try to inform funders and systems and um, other agencies about who we are. I like, I, I like the listening part as well, right? Because that's, that's, I think the thing that leaders, quote leaders, don't Mm -hmm. do nearly enough of, is they Mm -hmm. don't listen. They like to talk. They like to tell people what their opinions are, but they don't actually listen very well. Because if if you actually listen, you, you might hear some things that they don't agree with your worldview, but they are the truth for the person who's telling you that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and just listening, instead of listening with the intent to speak and listening with the intent to hear what they're saying. And, um, you know, there's something that we learn in motivational interviewing called the writing reflex, which in healthcare, it's so prevalent because someone comes into your office, you're the doctor, they're, they're heavy smoker, they're high risk for lung cancer. The writing reflex is where we tell them, if you continue smoking, here's your risk of getting cancer and you need to stop smoking and let me give you. So it's really about focusing, really like focusing in on that person's need to quit smoking, even before you've asked them if they want to. And so in social work, we have to, and and this is not just true to social work. Doctors also really try hard to work in a more of a motivational capacity most times, especially nowadays, we we know that that works better. But, um, you know, in social work, we really try to stay away from the writing reflex and um, try to stop when we notice that's happening and put that aside and lean into what we're hearing. And so, you know, having the lived experience kind of helps us do that. But I think that that's what we all kind of strive to do 
well, I hope we all strive to do, I guess. Well, I think if, if you actually take a look at your own life with, with any kind of candor, I suppose, um, you can see where when you're not ready to make a change, and it doesn't matter how important that change is or how much you need to make that change or anything else, how many people want you to make that change. If you're not ready to make the change, mm -hmm. it's not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, it's just not going to happen. You will yeah. fall back. You'll you'll take two steps forward and three steps back. I mean, it, it's just you can't do it until you're ready to do it. And, you know, like with addiction, with um, trauma, with, I mean, things like domestic violence, because that's when people from pre pretty much all walks of life can say, yes, that's wrong. That's awful. We agree that that's difficult, um, even if we don't understand all of the intricacies of it. And so with something like domestic violence, we all understand that person needs to make a clean break from it. You know, they, if they start, if they go to their partner and say, yeah, I'm going to pack my bags today because you're just, you're being very abusive. It's not going to work out. We know that. We like, we all kind of know that, which is why we support, you know, domestic violence agencies and shelters, um, which, which is great. But that same violence happens in other areas. Um, you know, that happens in a lot of childhood trauma. Um, it happens in addiction. Uh, there's also a, a, an emotional and social um, torment and trauma that happens in addiction. And so it's really difficult to ease away from that without the right support. You have to be able to make a clean break. Um, otherwise, you know, it's just, I mean, so I don't know how many people out there listening have been through withdrawals before for something like opiates and especially for something like heroin or fentanyl, which I have not been through um, withdrawals for fentanyl. I have for heroin and um, methadone. And I can say that, you know, they were, I mean, just look it up. It's pretty awful. Um, it's weeks long. It's pretty um, intense. It hurts. It's, it, it hurts. hurts. It's uncomfortable. Your it's, whole body hurts. And yeah. more than the hurts, like the restless body syndrome and all of that and just constant, like, twitches and constant aggravations it's mental torture mm -hmm. and it's just mm -hmm. why would you go through that if you thought that you weren't going to be able to stay clean so you almost have right. to make a clean break for it um and everybody gets there differently so mm -hmm. one person's clean break doesn't look like another person's it, they could ease off but that is a clean break because they have the support to make each step some people need right. to literally go in and shut the door and cold turkey you know yeah. So, but either way, our life circumstances, um, you know, I, there's a saying in 12-step uh, groups that I think it is uh, <clears throat> when the pain of uh, remaining the same, or when the pain of change, no, sorry, when the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of change, we change. And so what that means is, you know, basically, if it's more painful for you to change, you're just going to keep doing what you're doing. Even yeah. in the long run, it's more painful, but day by day, you it's a pain you know. And so right. I think when that's one of the things that I hear the most that is to me not true is that people are choosing it or people are making these poor choices 
And yes, I will agree that people do make poor choices. We all do. I mean, we were just talking about our city manager. So yes, we all make poor choices, sure. But when we're talking about something as serious as addiction, we we really should be relating that to a type of uh, violence and a type of trauma that is seen also in um, domestic violence and interpersonal violence. So, and I you mean, just need the support systems. I mean, they they yeah. just there needs to be support systems in place. Yeah, you have to have. There has to be enough that this person is going to see um, a chance. You know exactly, so and a that's different that for end. everyone, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, another thing that we were talking about a year ago was Adapt. Now, mm-hmm. this is an organization that has come into Curry County. In fact, I think they have offices here in Brookings. They do, mm-hmm. and and it's behavioral health stuff. Yeah, so they basically are our county mental health, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, behavioral health, yes, that's kind of like uh, a cross between a person's physical health, their mental health, and often involves addiction and things like that. But um, m- you can think of mental health as kind of a, a piece of that that can be separate. And so they came in to provide our county with uh, the mental health program, but they do offer addiction services elsewhere. And so they're looking mm-hmm. to bring some of that in as well. Mm-hmm. Um and now, like I said, they're they're also they're one of the two recipients of the Measure One Ten funding. So that that services, you know, those mental health services and the addiction services are going to come with peer support, just like we have peer support. Um, and that'll be a lot of outreach based. So they'll will overlap sometimes mm-hmm. uh, with our peers. Um, and I think they already have um, at least one peer support specialist here in town that is to help with addictions. That's my understanding. And maybe that could be for mental health, but I want to say that was for addictions. Do we have anything that you know of for children and mental health? Yes. So, hmm, that's a little bit less of my specialty, but I do know that they have a provider. Well, actually, I know that Mm -hmm. because my own kids go down to ADAPT, and so I want to say that they're signed up with a, a I don't know if that person specializes with kids or if it's just right, the person right. and um, also see, sees kids, but I'll have right. to uh, I'll have to ask that one because I Cause know less about told kids. Me that we don't have a pediatrician in the county. No, we don't have a pediatrician. No, right? How is that even possible? We yeah. Remember we we talked about this one time because I was mentioning that there is no um, there are very few offices around here that carry uh, vaccines in general, let alone mm-hmm, pediatric mm-hmm. vaccines. So we have a difficult time getting those vaccines for kids, uh, which is kind of strange. It is a little bit strange, but I mean, uh, I'm really shaking my head here. How how is it possible that a county of twenty three thousand people doesn't right. have a pediatrician? What well, what? There's no kids here. That's all. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> well, what are those little things that are running around on my street? They're tiny me. adults that need to pull up their bootstraps. <laughs> Oh my! No, word. Um, yeah, we there are doctors that do see kids here. In fact, I think Heidi, Heidi Carlson in town is a pretty popular one for. I think mm-hmm. my kids see her for you know, basically pediatrician, family doctor, right. whatnot. But she's very um, experienced with kids, so there are a couple around. 
I know. But just not, not technically an actual, a pediatrician. Not a dedicated pediatrician, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I is think just, I, I don't We have more, um, I think we have more geriatricians than, is that what it, mm-hmm. the geriatric providers, than we do um, pediatricians, which, yes, Curry County is um, a high senior population, but we actually do have more children on Medicaid than we have um, seniors. Wow. So, wow. And it would be nice to just have one pediatrician in the county. I mean, kind you know, of, I don't mind would. having more geriatric than right. pediatrician, but I'd like to have one pediatrician. Right, right. Just one. Yeah. yeah. It's a starting it point. A odd. Um, and Curry Community Health. So they now are occupying the Rush Building. Coast Community Health. Brookings, right? Coast Community Health? Coast Community oh, Health, yeah. Right. Coast Typo. Community Health. Curry Community Health is, is the nothing hospital now. No, no, that's Curry. Oh, that Health okay. Network. Curry Community Health. See, I'm getting is, all confused. I know. It's, we have Jeez. we have so many like C H N. We have so C-N-C's. many Currys. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what? So Curry so Community Coast, Health was what was before. They were the they were our primary mental health provider. Got it. They were the county okay. mental health provider. And then that went to Freedom Healthcare, and then that went to ADAPT. So Coast okay. Community Health is – they are a true behavioral health provider in that they um, – now, they mostly uh, operated originally out of Port Orford. Um, they mm-hmm. have a clinic up there, and then they have a cl- now have a clinic down here at the old Rush Building. And okay. um, we work with and them. And what we- is it that they are doing? So they're – they do primary care, um, but they do also have like behavioral health. So I believe they have an actual psychiatrist that's able to prescribe. They did before, and mm-hmm. so um, mm-hmm. I believe that's the case now. I'll have to okay. maybe look that up for next time. But so they they have the building down here will eventually be, I think, be able to be used for primary care. Um, but if somebody really needed it, they could go up to Port Orford. Uh, but we do have mm-hmm. a few other providers around. But they kind of really do – they don't specialize, you know, for people who are um, on the streets or anything. But they're kind of a, a really good provider for services like that. And so when they do have their clinic open here uh, for primary care, I imagine that they'll be able to see a lot more of the people who are without housing. Um, or people right. who have, you know, mental health and addictions, because it can be difficult to find primary care for people who are really impacted by that, um, mm-hmm. especially when they are without housing, because it's just, you know, it's just more difficult. So my understanding is that they'll kind of be able to be a medical home for people that we're working with, but they'll provide services to a lot of people. So Excellent. Excellent. And and St. Timothy's is still doing uh, vaccine out of there, aren't, yes. aren't they giving I vaccines? I believe it's yeah. Saturdays 12 to 3. Um, mm-hmm. They had some children's vaccines that were earlier at like 10, mm-hmm. but I'm, that might be over with. Obviously, I haven't kept as much up to date on that. Every time I get my booster and then I'm like, all right, out of sight, out of mind for a little bit. <laughs> I know, right? But yeah. <laughs> if they, I never have to think about COVID again. I know. You know? Yeah. And poor China. I mean, come yeah. on, right? Oh that yeah. poor country. I mean, I know it's I just, bad. Like, and I again, I think people traveling is really when I see it like hitting people. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just not traveling right now. But I would hate to just every time there's a case, we can't even move too. So 
Good I know, gosh. I know. Remember but, at the beginning? You know, as soon as they... Oh, I do remember the beginning. That We was, said, you have to wear a mask. And everybody was like, what is this communist China? And I'm like, well, I, you guys, <laughs> I think we're all right. Like... It was rough. Yeah, do you but remember bringing the food from a grocery store onto your porch and having to wash everything down because yeah. you were so afraid that you, I mean, we didn't know how it was carried. We didn't. I didn't do the so the triple quadruple glove thing where you just pull them off every once. In a while. I didn't do that. That was weird because if you touch mm -hmm. something with a glove and then you touch right. something, yeah, there's right. A point. Yeah. But I did wipe some stuff down, and and obviously, like also. You know, during the Delta pan or during the Delta um, strain, phase, phase yes. part of our <laughs> lives. Um, yes. You know, that was when the clinic started up. And so for months, mm -hmm. I was coming home directly from testing people who had COVID. And so yeah. it was even more like I had um, a spray bottle with alcohol in my car. And so I would get, when I would get to my car, I would grab that first, I would spray my hands, I would spray everything else, my shoes, anything that wasn't covered by the gown, mm -hmm. and um, and then take my clothes off when I got home because I didn't want to, you know, risk them getting Delta because I, I think that was no, before we had absolutely. our booster. So Yeah, absolutely. So th the other thing on the list was the new office space core. Yeah. So well, you've got... Yeah. So it's the same office, humdinger. but yeah, but it's beautiful. We it's okay. Don't walk in right now because it's a little okay. bit crazy. But <laughs> um, I hopefully by the end of next week it'll kind of be all together. But it's it is looking really nice. So we've we have our fifth employee. We just brought on someone last Monday, and so that's Kathleen. She is. Um, we originally reached out to hire for a shelter advocate. But Kathleen has a lot of different types of experience, and we also needed a little bit of office and shelter support. So mm -hmm. she's actually going to be our office manager and shelter manager. Um, so nice. she'll be able to do some advocacy work and peer support work, but it'll be different than what Steve is doing. And she'll be doing, um, you know, like she'll be the first person people see now when they come into CORE because we actually will have someone at the front desk. So wow. nice. that being said... That whole front room now is essentially her office. And then we moved the hygiene closet into there. So now people, um, what we found is that people were coming in and just kind of needing like a quick bag of stuff. And mm -hmm. if you have been in our office, it's very long. And towards the end of the hall is, it's actually at the other end of the hall, is our uh, hygiene and clothing closet. So we had a bunch of stuff in there. So when we brought people in, you know, usually a staff person would just sit in there with them while they got their stuff um, mm -hmm. and then help them get their hygiene bags and whatnot. Well, now we've moved the clothing closet to the little room next to her office. So now people can just go in, um, spend their time in the clothing closet. We don't have to worry about anything. They just go in and they can basically nice. shop for what they need. Um, mm -hmm. And then... If people want to just walk in and ask for a few hygiene items, she can just hand it to them and we don't have to, um, they don't have to worry about coming all the way back and, you know, taking that's forever. Great. And yeah, yeah, so that's been a, that's going to make things a lot quicker for people coming in just to grab some stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, mm -hmm. she's got noodles and snacks and water bottles and stuff up front. So we can kind of. I have some ramen, by the way, that I need to give oh, you. Oh, good. Yeah, we yeah. take all of that. And especially like yeah. cups of noodles, if, mm -hmm. you know, people are listening and want to drop things off, 
People love mm-hmm. cup of noodles and um, we yep. give them granola bars and snacks and water bottles. And t- sometimes we have tea. We always have coffee going. So that's mm-hmm. all day coffee. Good, good. So winter warming. So this this was a thing that actually happened last yeah. year. Yeah. Um, quietly, right? I mean, the, the community didn't I mean, know it just happened it. quietly. And it was you know, successful we, we just, and delightful. We just weren't, um, we were just very busy putting all this together. And mm-hmm. it, winter warming is something that happens every year. But I don't know that we've had a physical location for winter warming before. So as a shelter, um, you know, other than last year, we might have the year before that, but I'd have to ask Beth, but... I think that last year was actually the first physical location, but this year, um, so the Curry Homeless Coalition is, I think, going to be running winter shelter, or I'm not sure what they're calling it. We're calling it winter shelter. So I think Mm -hmm. they're going to be running theirs in Gold Beach and Port Orford, and this is until April 1st. And then we're running one in Brookings um, until April 1st, and actually our first day is Monday. So today's Saturday, actually. So Monday, right. I mean, we've been planning January this for 2nd. a while. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. You know, this has been planned for many, many weeks. We've met, our team has met multiple times. We've, we, there was a lot of stuff that had to go into this because of the location, because of the, you know, the owner of the space, um, because of the funding. And so it's just, it took a lot of effort and a lot of coordination, Um which it always does, but it did take a lot of that. But it and seems like it took longer than than um, we anticipated. There were some right? d- I mean, delays with just yeah. you know, like figuring out the funding because Orca, you know, has, traditionally they provide the the bulk of the funding for this. We do mm. look elsewhere for you know, Beth and I both looked elsewhere for additional funding and was a we were able to secure quite a bit um, for supplies and food and. Um, and even a little bit for payroll and whatnot, because we are going to staff ours. But the bulk of the funding to pay for the space is usually from Orca. And that this year ran, you know, close to the end of December before we found out. So, Mm. you know, there were, there were a few delays kind of all around, but we Mm. were able to get everything together. We called our first few applicants, um, back last week to let them know that they were going to have a space on Monday. And so we do have a few families coming in on Monday and um, all three households are seniors, much, much older people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, one person, m- one room, both of the people are seniors, but mm-hmm. one senior actually takes care of the other one. And so we were able to get them a space where they have their own space that's conjoined so that they can, that person can take care of the other person without um, giving up their privacy. So it's, it's very, I'm very grateful. I, I'm hopeful. I'm excited. The whole team is very excited. Like, I'm confident that they have this. We've been going over it for so long now. Um, and they've been amazing at giving input. You know, Dave and Steve have given me a lot of input. Um, and Isabel has just been working really hard with me on making sure we have all the funding secured and everything's ready to go. So it's, it's been so exciting. exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it's so exciting. And, and and is there anything else in terms of the planning process for CORE? Are you looking at anything else? Well, I'm so I'm just getting ready to post um, 
probably tonight or tomorrow, I have kind of a, you know, year in review snapshot with a few numbers, um, you know, of people we've served and households and things that we've done. And then looking forward and in that, um, in that post, which uh, I would encourage everybody to kind of go check out. It's, it'll have some good information. Um, it says in there, so this year for clothes, just for the fourth quarter, so that's um, October, November, December, we gave mm-hmm. out 699 items of clothing, shoes, and jackets just for wow. those three months. And wow. we had um, over 132, or about 132 households that we served which is, wow. I mean, that's obviously that's more people than households because some households have right. multiple people. And then we case managed just in these three months, 78 people. And wow. I think, I think we had 217 people come in for walk-in services, meaning, hmm. you know, this is not case management um, interactions. This is just somebody walking into um, see the hygiene closet, the clothing closet to get a cup of noodles to, um, sit down and talk with someone if they were just not for case management, but for peer support Mm -hmm. so that they could just kind Mm -hmm. of talk. So 217 for the last couple months. And um, so what you'll also see in there is, so for this year, we had two programs. We had our peer house, which is our walk-in services. And then we had our case management program, which we called resource navigation. And so that was our long-term programs where you you know, schedule appointments with um, Dave is our case manager, basically. And that's to like help get you through some goals. So next year, so that was two programs, we had four employees throughout the year, and I think we had five volunteers total. So next year, we plan on having nine programs, including a street medicine program, a transitions of care program, um, Let's see, Project Turnkey, so some housing programs, um, different, you know, of course, Winter Shelter, that's a program that we're adding technically starting in 2023. And so there'll just be a lot more programs. Our case management will be broken up because we'll have some employment-related funding. Um, We'll have some health-related funding, housing-related funding. So there's a lot happening. And then we intend on moving up to at least nine employees. And I'm hoping we can double our amount of volunteers for the year. So, um, but the wow. biggest change for us is that in 2022, we went from a $250,000 um, budget to 2023 being a $750,000 budget. So we're <laughs> growing. And even though it's yes, a large you jump, are. yeah. Uh huh. It's been a That's lot great. of work. Um, and I'm so grateful for Isabel. I mean, I'm grateful for Dave and Steve too. And now Kathleen is already just rocking it, but, um, I'm so grateful for Isabel in working with me and just helping me keep track of things so that I can, um, look elsewhere and start, you know, really making sure I'm putting things together in a way that's long-term. Um, so, you know, it's a big jump, but it, it was not done lightly. Every grant is written with, you know, with our mission in mind and with sustainability in mind. And so we're, we are feeling really good about 2023. Well, I am thrilled because, you know, two years ago, this was just a little dream and now it's, now it's huge and 
happening and serving people. And it's just, it's amazing. And, um, you know, yeah. kudos to you and to all of your staff for everything yeah. that they do. Yeah. I think we're running out of time again. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, I know, right? That that seems to happen on a regular basis. It's really Tom's reason. fault. He's the one that's telling I, us we no, have to stop. I think we we could just keep Tom. going. <laughs> Yeah, but at a certain point, I think he'd cut us off. And then editor-in-chief, that's what we're in. Yeah. So I, I hope that there are lots more great conversations coming up with you, you know, mm -hmm. in the coming year. I can't wait to hear about all the progress and all the yeah. fun things that are going to be happening. So And Happy New Yahoo! Year to everybody. I know. Happy New are Year. Are you going to stay up late? Uh, no, I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> Oh, it's tonight. It's, it's tonight. tonight. You. What am I thinking? No, I you haven't could... had a nap this afternoon, so oh, I'm goodness. definitely going to go to bed early. Well, we're going to stay up. We're going to watch the ball drop, hopefully, and have some cider or something. So, um, but you know, the kid, half the kids are going to pass out. So I know. So I I want to give a, a little bit of an update to our listeners for KCIW. For us at KCIW, 2022 saw us start to recover from being shut down during the pandemic. We had some new volunteers showing up, including Mike Clark, who headed up the effort to get us streaming. Many thanks to Mike, because now we are streaming, and you can hear our station anytime by going to our website, kciw.org, and hitting the button, Listen Live. And also many thanks to some of our funding foundations, including Oregon Community Foundation, Humboldt Area Foundation, Wild Rivers Coast Foundation, and Roundhouse Foundation, as well as the generous donations from our listeners and show sponsors. We've also been approved to go full power, which means that hopefully by the end of 2023, KCIW will be able to be heard countywide and we will be able to provide emergency information in the event of a disaster. The future is very bright indeed. I'm Candace Michelle, and this is our community. See you next time.